The two things outside of it make it a sandwich. I would say those two things should be bread. Somebody said those two things should be that. I don't know what that is, but it's a sad loss of bread. I don't know. So, but if you're into that, if you're doing something low carb, that could be your sandwich, but it still stands that it's the two things on either side of the meat that make something a sandwich. Why does that matter? It matters because today we are looking at a meaty passage. Um, and, and this meaty passage is sandwiched end to two other passages. And if you don't understand those two other passages and you only look at the meat, you might not understand this passage. Does that make sense? We've got these two overviews about what's going on at the church. In the middle of them, we have this particular issue that comes up in the midst of those two goings on in the church. And when you just look at the middle... It's confusing when you look at it all, but it can get really confusing when you just look at the middle. So we're going to look at the whole thing, and I just want to encourage you to look at this in context of the sandwich. We're going to start um, in chapter 4 in verse 32. And Acts is about the early church. If you haven't been here, if you're not familiar with the book, the history of the early church, we just saw Peter and John stand up to the temple officials and then um, get told that they were going to be persecuted. But then they go and pray with this group of believers. And there's just this huge unity among the community of believers. And so you see the summary starting in verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. All right, you ready for the meat? We're moving into the meat. Says Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Anna died to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you? This is a key part of the passage. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these events. And then you have the other side of the sandwich. And it says this, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, 
and all of them were healed. So, if I was with the middle schoolers and high schoolers and just them right now, after I read that passage, here is what I would say. What do you think about that passage? And and it would be an interesting conversation. And we would have time to sort of delve through and walk through all the intricacies of it and what they saw and what they found concerning. I actually thought about doing that in this context. And I decided I wanted to keep my job while David was out of town. So I'm not going to do that. Um, This isn't really the context uh, for that conversation to take place. But what I'd like to do is just give you a brief amount of context that maybe will help you understand what, what, is, what is a difficult and honestly a, a bit of a troubling passage and then spend some time talking about what I think God wants to say specifically to our community. I'm, I'm not trying to rush through any of this or rush through hard things. It's just I feel like God wants to say some stuff to us specifically as a community. And so if you have questions at the end of this, particularly related to what's going on there, um, that we have an answer that I would love uh, to talk with you. You can send me an email and we can follow up. So what is God doing in this passage? What is going on that something like this happens? Some people want to argue that uh, what happened with Ananias and Sapphira is just they died from shock or they died from surprise that Peter knew what was going on. But even I kind of want to say that, if I'm honest with you. But, but the truth is that every scholar, every indication in the passage is that the words that are used here are words of judgment, that God is passing judgment on an act within the body. And so we have to wrestle with that as believers. What's going on? Why is it happening? Why did we not see that happen? All of those questions. But I'm just going to hit on four things that I think it's important for us to know for the context of this passage. The first is that God is seeking to establish a new covenant community. Is that if you look in the beginning of this sandwich, if you look on the front end of it, you see some language that's used that is reminiscent of language from the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, God said, my ideal culture looks like this. My ideal people will operate in such a way. And in chapter 15, he talks about this thing called the year of Jubilee. And he said in the seventh year, it will be a year of Jubilee. And what will happen is if anybody has a debt, that debt will be forgiven and everybody will be taken care of because everybody will have enough. No one will have to be in lacking. And so what you'll have is you'll have a community where everyone is taken care of and no one claims stuff for their own, but they share everything they have. You see that language in the first part of the passage. And what God is doing is he's saying that kind of community is coming fully. Jesus is the year of Jubilee. Jesus is the forgiveness of all debts of all kinds. And it's not a new law. It's a new grace that comes from Jesus and the response of people's hearts. There's no law laws. We read about them in the first century, but this was not one of them. He's saying there's a new grace that is developing in hearts because of the jubilee of Jesus. And these people are acting in a way out of grace to care for each other that I desire for all communities of all time. And so God is establishing a new covenant community. Again, it's not based on law. We're not getting into politics and socialism and all that stuff. What we're saying is That God has done something in the hearts of people that moves them because of God's care and forgiveness to care for those around them. The second thing that God is saying is that the spirit is aware of everything that happens. The spirit is aware of everything that happens. It may feel like we get away with things at times because we slip by and we don't fall down dead at people's feet when we lie. 
or when we do something like that. But what God is establishing in this community is the Spirit knows all things. Peter doesn't figure out what Ananias has done. The Spirit reveals it to Peter, and God wants people to know that my Spirit is aware of what is happening, that my Spirit knows your heart and knows what you do. My Spirit is strong and powerful. The third thing that God is doing is God is revealing that there, when God moves in a community, there are forces that counter move. But those forces will never win. They will not beat God. Ultimately, God always wins. There's this uh, there's there's the phrase that uh, Ananias kept something back is used uh, really specifically and in the same way in Joshua, the book of Joshua. If you don't know Joshua, uh, Joshua is the one who, after Moses dies, leads the Israelites into the promised land. He has the same name as Jesus, Yeshua. They both derive their names from the same root. And uh, Joshua is one who ushers his people into the promised land. Jesus is one who ushers us into a new promised land. And in Joshua, uh, Joshua's army defeats this huge uh, city, Jericho, and it's miraculous. It's completely God. And what God says is because you didn't earn this victory, you don't get to keep anything from it because it was given to you. Don't hold anything back. Get rid of all of it. And so They do, and then they go to this next city, Ai, which actually means dump, the dump. It's a little city, and they think, we can crush these guys. We just beat Jericho, and they get defeated. They only send a few thousand troops, but those troops get defeated. And Joshua says, God, what's going on? You've left us. And God says, no, I didn't leave you. Somebody held something back. Somebody was disobedient. And then they find out it's this guy Achan and the community has to pull him out and deal with him and deal with all the loss that came from that. And and Achan and his entire family received the judgment. And it's it's rough and tough. If you find this difficult, it's it's really difficult. It's administered by the community. And what God is saying in this passage is I'm not going to let it get that far for my new community. He said, I'm going to deal with this immediately. There's messes in all communities and I'm going to deal with the messes. And so God is saying, there are forces that align against me, but I'm going to act first and move first. And then the final thing I think will help us understand this passage, hopefully a little bit more, is that this is a particular response to a particular need in a particular time. It is not the norm of Scripture, no matter what anybody else wants you to believe, that God just goes around killing people. It is not. And people want to argue that it is often. Neither New nor Old Testament is it the norm in Scripture that God would go around and and have this kind of judgment on people. But God is looking at these people and he's saying, there are these big things happening. I'm establishing a new community. And if you look at the other end of that sandwich, what is that new community able to do when it moves together in oneness with God? People are healed all over the place, right? People are experiencing their needs taken care of, all of them, their physical, their spiritual, their emotional needs are being met. And God is saying, this community is establishing what I want to do in all communities. And because right now this is the community, I'm going to particularly care for this community in a particular way because the message it has is of vast importance. And that may bother you. You may say, man, for, for everybody, you took out these two people. And I was, I was wrestling with that myself this weekend. And this is a little... If if we need to follow up on this, let me do this, but I don't have time to go all into it. But I thought about this. Ananias and Sapphira willingly made a choice and received death so that the community could know what sin does. Jesus willingly made a choice and received death so that we could know what sin does. And oftentimes, 
I find myself more bothered by what happened to Ananias and Sapphira than I do by what happened to Jesus. And, and it's something I have to wrestle with. And I'm not saying it explains all of the difficulties of this passage, but it is something to know that God does not spare his own son from, from giving him away to bring renewal to the community. And so I would encourage you that even if God looks hard here, what we know is that God's love is, is so all-surpassing and so beyond what we could ever fathom. I think about my own relationship with my, with my kids. My children oftentimes look at me and they look at the decisions I make and they say, that confuses me when you tell me you love me. And I'm not even a very good father, but I love them. And so how much more can I trust the character of God even in the midst of confusion? So I, I know that's a, that's a quick run through that, but, but the reason I did that was because I, I wanted us to know this. I think this is important. The, the provocativeness of the death of Ananias and Sapphira, I think, is dangerous to us in that it can make us miss the larger point of what God is saying, which is this is what community should and can be when it comes to community centered in Jesus. It should be a community that gives freely, that takes care of the other, that, that is engaged in the power and the mission of God in oneness. And, and that the rest of the world looks at and says, that might even be a little scary and confusing, but I have to go towards that because it has answers that I don't have. It has healing that I've never found. And if we get caught up in the individual instead of what the individual is illustrating to us about the broad, we will miss out on our opportunity to be sons and daughters of prophetic encouragement, to be Barnabas in this story rather than Ananias and Sapphira. To be people who say, I'm going to embrace fully what God is doing. And I know oftentimes when I speak to you, I feel like that I stay at 30,000 feet and I, and I worry about, do I say enough about how does this apply in your family tomorrow or how does this apply in your workplace tomorrow? Um, but I was reading an article this past week uh, about our current presidential election climate. And I, I'm not going to comment on the actual climate, but it was interesting. Uh, the, the author of the article was asking, how did we end up here? And one of the things they said, I wrote it down, they said, what we're really facing these days is a crisis of solidarity. Many people feel pervasively betrayed by for-profit job training outfits that left them awash in debt, by spouses and step-parents, by people who collect federal benefits but don't work. They've stopped even expecting loyalty from their employers. The big flashing lights say no trust, and that leads to an everyone-out-for-himself mentality. The ship has sailed on a lot of things, but our culture still looks for something different than that. And we have an opportunity as the community of God to allow the way that we do community to be a prophetic voice for the world. God said to Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. The nations will look at you and they'll know what a life with God could look like. And now in the new covenant, that's what he's saying is he's saying this community is so important to me. Because the world needs to know that there's better ways. The world needs to know that there's better than living in lies and deceit and fear and greed and all of these things. And I have to let them know clearly so that my message can spread out beyond here. So how do we embrace that? How do we embrace that? Both Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira made decisions. They both made personal decisions. And for us, we have decisions that we can make. 
And for me, I think I've got to ask myself two questions. And I just want to spend the next few minutes we have asking those two questions. First is, will I know and believe that I belong to the community? Well, I know and believe that I belong to the community. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they lived in the community, but they didn't belong to the community. Right? Or, 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 or they would have interacted differently with the community. They wouldn't have lied. I always tell my kids that. I'm like, there's a lot of things we can get through, but when you lie, you break relationship. And what you're doing is we don't have a real relationship anymore. And that's what's happening with Ananias and Sapphira, is that they're in the community, but they're not in real relationship with the community. They're trying to pretend they're someone they're not. As opposed to Barnabas, what's interesting about Barnabas is it says Barnabas was from somewhere else. Barnabas was from Cyprus. But Barnabas comes into this community and he just leans in to the grace of God. And he says, I'm just going to embrace what God is doing and give myself fully into it. Will I do that? Will I belong to the community? See, the lie for our community, we've talked about this before, is, is this idea that there are insiders and outsiders. It's one of the big lies. We talk about giants in our community, in Marietta specifically. And one of these is this idea that people constantly feel like there are some people on the inside and there are some people on the outside. And the weird thing about that is nobody really feels like they're on the inside. And people who do feel like they're on the inside feel like they snuck in there through the back door and they're like Ananias and Sapphira. Right. And they're just moving money around and trying to make sure they look okay and trying to make sure that everybody's okay with them. And and it's this lie that somehow I'm on the outside and, and I need to get to the inside. That, that makes us hide, pretend, and protect who we are. And, and so we hold back who we are. And, and we don't let it be valued by the community. Instead, we present this thing that we think other people are. And, and we think that that's the way to be accepted. Is we walk around thinking, what is everyone going to think of me and how do I make them think of me like, we, like I think of them? And the problem with that thinking, I tell students this all the time, is when you're wondering what is everybody else thinking about me, no one is thinking about you. They're all wondering what is everyone else thinking about me, right? And we all sort of live in this place where we're desperate to get inside something And particularly as the community of believers, what we need to know is that everybody was on the outside before Jesus. And the only thing that got us inside was Jesus himself. Paul says we were all far away. And we were all outsiders. But the grace of Jesus opens up the inside to everyone. And it's not about how I act or how much money I spend or with Ananias and Sapphira, if they look like Barnabas or they look like somebody else. It's about the grace of God. See, when Ananias and Sapphira said, we're not enough, what they were really saying is God's grace is not enough, and we have to pretend to be more. God's grace can't reach us, and we have to pretend to be more. And when we say that, you guys, when we aren't honest about who we are in the community of God, it may not kill us immediately, but do not be fooled. It will kill you. It will kill you relationally. It will kill you emotionally. It will kill you spiritually, and ultimately it will end in your death. When we hide, when we protect, when we believe the lie. And when we hold back because the cost of giving everything to God feels like it's too much for our reputation or too much for our insecurities or too much for our pride, we die inside and the community loses as a result. So what's the answer? The answer is to embrace Barnabas. 
to lean in no matter where we come from, because everybody meets God at the point of grace. Everybody does. Nobody gets in without grace, no matter how good you were or bad you were or pretty you were or ugly you are or whatever. Everybody gets in by grace and to lean in to that radical grace, not just for ourselves, but for everybody else. Because if Luke is saying anything in this passage, he's saying community gets messy. Everybody doesn't have it all together. And you've got to have grace for you and you've got to have grace for the people that let you down and the people that don't understand you and the people that make you feel like on the out, you're on the outside because they're probably feeling like they're on the outside somewhere. But lean into radical grace and let Jesus define who's on the inside and then just run forward with all that you are. It will lead to a freedom of transparency. It will lead to accountability. But it will lead to a community that you've never known before. I've never told this story before today. Uh, When I got here four years ago, it was so difficult because everybody else on staff had been here from the beginning, and and I had not. And I just felt so outside. They told jokes I didn't know. They told stories I didn't know. They'd been places I hadn't been. And then finally, Bo came on, and I was like, oh, Bo's the new guy. And they all looked at me and literally said, no, he's not. You're still the new guy. He was here before you. And it was like, oh. And it would constantly bother me, and I would constantly try to present myself as enough to be a part of whatever this community was. And it was destroying me on the inside. I remember asking my wife one day, do you think this is a big deal? And she said, yes, for the love. It is a big deal, and you need to deal with it. And I said, well, I don't know how to deal with it. And she said, you need to go to David Eldridge and you need to go to Bo Bryant and you need to go to Les Saunders and you need to tell them what's going on. I would have rather, she said, you need to go to the Pope, the president, and I I don't know, like who have the sheriff and tell them what's going on. I did not want to go to those three guys. It was like, never let them see you sweat, right? They can't see that. And I went to them and I just confessed and I said, I need your help. And I need you to pray for me. And they prayed for me. And I'll never forget. They were praying for me. I'm not saying he'll do this with you. But David said, all right, so just confess any sin that might be holding you back. And I was like, I don't want to do that with you. And I did. And don't tell him I told you this. But he just put his hands on my shoulders. And he just prayed for me. And this is what he said. And I'll never forget it. He said, Satan, you're a liar. You're the one on the outside. David is on the inside. It changed my life. But it took vulnerability. took a willingness to admit that I was not what I thought everybody else was. But when you find it, you find life. And you find a prophetic community that says there's something better. Last thing. Is that I can't just realize that I belong to the community. I have to realize that the community belongs to me. Some of us, like we've got our people And we've got our stuff, or we're just happy on our own. What does David Eldridge say? I'm my own best friend, right? Like, we're good. And we think that's good. And part of that is because we live in this lie that we just need to get enough for us. And if I try to start spreading my arms out wider, I won't have enough. I don't need new friends, right? I don't need new people. It's hard enough for me to get out my door in the morning. It's hard enough for me to get through work. It's hard enough for me to pay my bills. It's hard enough for me to whatever. And there's this lie that says, if I start looking at the community as belonging to me, I won't have enough. And the response is, so I'll just focus on my own stuff. 
I'll walk out of this room. And as long as I feel good, everybody else is good. I dealt with my stuff. They got to deal with their stuff. I got mine. They got to get theirs. And the consequence of this, and I don't know if this matters to you, but it should. The consequence of this is that we lose the opportunity to be a prophetic community. When we say, I'll take care of mine, you take care of yours, we look like everybody else in the world. And the church has nothing to offer people that any other club doesn't have to offer people. People were drawn to this group of people out in healing and giving and receiving and and community and and all of these things were going on. And people said, like, that's scary because a couple of people died, but I've got to go towards it because they are providing in ways that I've never known. There's stories and stories and stories about the early church where people are like, these guys were idiots. They would give money to anybody. But they're inspiring people towards something better. So what's the solution? There's this phrase that keeps coming back up in my mind, and it's this. Freely I've received, so I've got to freely give. It's the year of Jubilee. My time, my money, my resources, they are not mine. And shame on me for pretending like they are, if I'm honest. There's a story of a church I read about this week um, in Buenos Aires. Uh, Carlos Ortiz is the pastor, and he said they started establishing their church, and they started teaching on discipleship. And he said the weirdest thing happened. People started coming and bringing them, like, the keys to their home and the deeds to their home and their car keys and all their stuff. And they're like, we didn't know what to do with it because we didn't want to be in the rental car business. We didn't want to be in the real estate business. And so he said they prayed about it, and they gave it back to the people. But they said, you're just holding on to this for God. This is God's house. This is God's car. And then he said whenever people would come through town or into town and need anything, they wouldn't even ask. They would just send them to live with people. They wouldn't say, hey, can they stay with you? They'd just send them to stay with people because they would say, it's not yours anyway. It's God's house. And we're not going to do that. You don't have to leave your stuff at the front today. You're like, huh. But what, what, what does that attitude and what does that mindset offer to us? It's not mine. Even if I only have a little bit of time, it's not mine. Freely I've received, so freely I should give. Do I even know what the needs are in my community, or am I so afraid to look because I think I have so little that I do nothing? That's the conviction I feel from the Lord in this passage, and I'm not trying to read that onto you, but that's the conviction I feel from the Lord. To begin to say, the community belongs to me, and I need to know. Maybe I can't do anything. Maybe I don't have enough, but God doesn't ask me to give what I don't have. He just asked me to give what I do have. He didn't look at Barnabas and look at Ananias and Sapphira and say, give exactly the same. That was their choice. He just wanted their hearts. And if God has given us as much that we just sang about, if God has given us all those things, he is life and and we are free and he has given us all of this healing and all of these things, how can we not seek to give those things to others? How can we only worry about our own area and believe that we are the prophetic community that God longs to move through? To bring hope to the world. Gosh, one of my fears, everybody says, like, you sound so inspired when you speak. And I think that makes people discount things at times. But I want to encourage you this. I I don't mean for this to sound pie in the sky. I, I mean to say that God's dreams for us are grander than we could ever imagine. And it says you embrace these things, and yes, you become a better parent, and yes, you become a brother or sister, and yes, you become a better worker or a better student or better any of those things. What we also do is we move towards God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, which is what he brought us to do. And and I think our world needs this. 
I don't know if it's now more than ever. I don't know. I think everybody feels like their time is the time, which is probably a good thing. But I believe our world needs a prophetic community that will step forward to embrace radical grace. That will step forward to embrace radical generosity. And don't get caught up in money about this. Is it about money? It probably is about money, but it's about other things too. That, that, that will let their refusal to pretend to be what they're not bring life instead of death to the community around them. So I'm going to invite Bo back up. When I was praying through the response today, I, I think the big question is this. What's in the way? What's in the way? Are you like I was on our staff? Are you like, I just feel so disconnected. I just feel so outside and I don't know how to be honest about who I am. I'm so afraid even of coming forward this morning for prayer because I'm afraid of what the community will think of me. If you're there, I would encourage you to push through today because there is so much more that waits on the other side. There is such a community on the end of that sandwich, you guys, that we haven't even imagined. And the reason we haven't imagined it is because we're all still holding back in this place of trying to get somebody else to blink first and go first so we can be like them instead of be like us. My encouragement to you today would be let it go. Just be who you are in all of your neediness and let God meet you there and renew you there and change your understanding of what a community of grace really is. And then for some of us, it's that we haven't looked out to the community. We haven't. We haven't looked out. And we haven't said, what are the needs? And I don't know what is blocking you. I don't know if you just kind of feel good and you feel like everybody should do their own thing. Or you're afraid of what might happen to your stuff if you go this way. And my encouragement to you would be, freely you have been given. So freely give. Freely give. And we would love to pray for you about what it means to freely give today. If we can get the prayer teams up, go ahead and come up. If there's anything else you need prayer for today, we, we would love to pray for you too. If you need healing specifically, um, we always want to pray for you as a part of embracing this new prophetic community of what God wants to do. Will you guys stand with me and I'll pray? God. God, I just confess for us, I confess for me and for us that I'm still so limited in seeing what it is you want to do. And God, I'm limited by my own fears and my own insecurities and I'm limited by my own inability to trust that you're enough and I'm limited by my own selfishness or even my own belief that somehow I am the reason that I am here. I am the reason I have what I have. I'm the reason I have the community that I have. And I've forgotten, God, that it was given to me by grace and I need to give freely. God, today I pray you would cut through all those things, Holy Spirit, and meet us. God, I pray for those of us specifically that are living in places of deception that are going to lead to death. We think what we're doing is we're dealing with the community, but what we're doing is we're dealing with God. And you long for life. You long for wholeness. 
And God, I pray for people today that you would give them the courage to step forward into life. Out of deception, out of darkness, out of hiding, out of pretending, out of protecting. And that they would lean in, God, that we would be like Barnabas, that we would be sons and daughters of prophetic encouragement, that people would look at the lives we live and the ways we give and the ways we lean in, and they would say, that, I don't know what happened here in this other thing. That still disturbs me, but, but, but that I've got to have. So God, by your grace, take us there. In Jesus' name, amen.